Luke <clears throat> chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, we pick up with the continuing story of Mary. Now, thus far, um, as we've studied the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, he has said that he is setting forth an orderly account. He's collecting these stories for a specific purpose, for a reason, and that is to uh, ensure uh, or to bring certainty to the things that have been taught to Theophilus, but also to the readers. Uh, this is this is to strengthen our faith, to give us um, an idea, an understanding uh, that God is at work in his people, that he is fulfilling his plan, that as we study through the Gospel of Luke, we see continually that God has planned, and he ha will continue to be faithful then to his plan. And then as we move through that, we also see that, um, uh, that he has left these little breadcrumbs so that we might put the pieces together, and then we might live out these things, uh, the life of a Christian, for his glory. And that we might testify to these same things, that we might have certainty and we might also testify. But as we, as we come to the original story, as we look at the original text, uh, we have seen thus far that God has begun to tell this story by putting in place um, three figures, I guess four figures, that we have uh, dealt with thus far. First, we uh, open up and we find a, this kind of story of Zechariah. Right? We have Zechariah, who is uh, a priest at the time, and, and he would have been knowledgeable in, uh, with Israel's history. He would have been knowledgeable in the scriptures. He would have understood, and he is given a glimpse into God's plan that um, Israel's uh, Redeemer is soon to come. And because of this, uh, he would be play a, a pivotal role in this. He would be... Um, birthing, uh, uh, he would have a son come into his life, uh, this promised son, son to him by uh, the Lord through Gabriel. And so he is told this, um, that his son is going to be great before the Lord. He is going to be uh, someone who's preparing the way for the Messiah. And we find that um, there John is introduced, that he will be somebody uh, who is um, brought onto the scene. Um, and we're told that he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from uh, f from like uh, in the in the womb. There, we're also told that uh, we're also um, introduced to uh, to Mary, who also uh, is somebody who would have had some familiarity with Israel's history, but in a much more lowly sense. Uh, you know, she's kind of the opposite of Zechariah. She's doesn't have an official role. She's not in an official uh, holy place, but she's just kind of in this random spot. But yet the Lord comes to her and says, I'm going to do a great work through you. And he uses this language that's rooted in, in Israel's history, speaking about how he will overshadow her and bring, um, and, and bring about a son through her. And then we're also told, uh, or we're also introduced to uh, Elizabeth who is uh, Zechariah's wife. And that brings us to our text this morning, where we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into um, her understanding uh, and how the Lord is working in her life. 
And as she is filled, um, as she is somebody who is bearing John the Baptist, uh, we find that um, af just after being given these words from Gabriel, in verse 39, Mary uh, says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. So she receives this promise from Gabriel. Uh, she is determined to act in obedience. And then we find uh, the continuing story of Mary in verse 39. And we read this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So uh, Mary takes this journey, we find, um, in this, uh, it seems that there's some haste here. Uh, it seems that, that there's some imminence to her, um, to her visit to, uh, to Elizabeth. And it's no wonder what we're told in uh, the text here in verse 36, that Mary is given some insight into Elizabeth's status. The angel Gabriel tells her, right after he says, you're going to have this child who's born, in verse 35, uh, who will be called holy, the son of God, he then pivots and says, uh, and by the way, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Right, so he says, um, just FYI, um, Elizabeth, your relative, she's past childbearing age, and she is going to be having a child as well. Um, she is pregnant, and she's already six months uh, in. And then he follows that up by saying, uh, in verse 37, uh, for nothing will be impossible with God. So he kind of puts this out there, like here's some wild statement. And really, all that Mary needs there to uh, confirm that is to go and visit, which perhaps this is one of the reasons. Uh, but what we find here is that Elizabeth is kind of in this uh, final period of her pregnancy. And so it seems like, one, as she goes to visit Elizabeth, um, as she goes and takes this journey, uh, she's looking to confirm this message from uh, the angel Gabriel, but also looking to assist perhaps with uh, with Elizabeth's um, pregnancy there. Um, if you recall, Elizabeth kind of like went, went into hiding a little bit. Uh, but we also find uh, here that as Mary makes this journey, perhaps this is, uh, you know, she goes out to there to serve, um, to have the word confirmed, but also uh, what better place for her to kind of come and to take solace than in the presence of someone else who the Lord is uh, working in, right? She knows that Elizabeth believes this to be true because Elizabeth is the recipient of a similar word. Elizabeth has gone through a similar situation. And instead of going out and speaking to all these different people and getting counsel about it, she says, you know what? The Lord is working in this other individual. I'm going to go there and, and to receive encouragement and we can discuss the things that the Lord is doing. We can find this fellowship around uh, what God is doing in our lives. And so she makes her way there. This journey for Mary would have uh, taken three or four days, um, perhaps probably about 80 to 100 miles for her to, to go. 
And as she makes her way, we're told, uh, she arrives in verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So as Mary arrives, she gets there. Um, Elizabeth doesn't know anything about what's going on with Mary. Uh, Mary's just kind of showing up for the first time here. Um, and as this happens, as Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, as she calls out and says, Hey, Elizabeth, I'm here. It's your cousin Mary. I'm in the area. It's coming to see you. Right? As this voice comes, uh, as this greeting rings out, what we find here is that the response to Mary is led by John the Baptist. Right? We're told that the baby leaped in her womb. Right? All of a sudden he starts like kicking. He's like, ha ah, ha he's like punching around. He's like, Something's happening and something's getting crazy here. And, and what, what we're seeing here is that this, even in, uh, in the womb, is the mark of John the Baptist doing that work of going before the Lord. He's trying to do his job. He's trying to, uh, to lay, down, uh, lay down the pathway for the Messiah. He's like, oh my gosh, like, th I'm supposed to be announcing the arrival. And so as, as Mary's voice comes out, John responds and he's like, oh, something's here. The Messiah's here. So he starts like, he starts like punching around being like, I I'm trying to announce, I'm trying to announce. Now remember, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled with the Holy Spirit. But as, as this happens, when uh, Elizabeth hears this, John starts doing his thing and trying to announce the arrival of Jesus. But then we're told immediately there in verse 41, then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So Mary shows up. Hey, Elizabeth, I'm here. John starts doing his thing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to announce the, uh, the arrival of Christ. He's here. He's here. He's here. Now, at this point, Elizabeth's not filled with the Holy Spirit, but as John starts doing that, then she becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and then you'll see here as we move through the text that uh, the Holy Spirit begins to inspire and, and overwhelm her speech and her actions and how she interacts with Mary because she doesn't have the knowledge that Mary has. She doesn't have the insight that this angel has come to Mary and given Mary this great insight about you know, who she's carrying in her womb. She doesn't have any of that. But John here, he, he knows because he was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, at the moment that here, John starts announcing uh, that Jesus is here. And as we move through the book of Luke, what you'll see is that the Holy Spirit is constantly showing up on the scene. He's constantly showing up on the scene to uh, reveal and speak and guide all throughout the book. But, the, but as we see here, uh, this work of the Holy Spirit um, gives this work of announcing, of proclaiming the arrival of Christ. And, and uh, for good reason, we'll, we'll get to this in uh, just a bit. But uh, as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, 
as she, uh, the Holy Spirit comes uh, and works in her life, she not only greets Mary, but this is why she begins to give all this crazy insight into God's heart and his mind. Look at verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So one, she didn't know that Mary was pregnant. Two, she didn't know that there was going to be anything extra special about this pregnancy. But yet, all of a sudden, Mary's like, hey, I'm here. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth is just like saying like all of this stuff that she doesn't know about. She's not aware of. But yet the Lord's working in her. The Holy Spirit's working in her. And she starts crying out in this loud voice, excited, ecstatic, over the top. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So as she says this, what she's getting at is that Mary is blessed because she has this tremendous privilege of uh, giving birth to the Savior of the world, of giving birth to Messiah. Uh, she is blessed um, because she has received this, you know, this favor from the Lord, as as God uh, explained to. Uh, Mary through the angel Gabriel. When he showed up, he said, uh, Mary, you have found favor with God. You have uh, received this grace from him. You have been given this gift uh, that you did not deserve, but was from his own hand. And so as this um, is spoken out uh, here, it's interesting in how Elizabeth phrases this uh, through the Holy Spirit, because typically uh, this sort of thing would be spoken as a blessing, as something to come. Like, you're going to be blessed. May the Lord bless you. But as Elizabeth says it through the Holy Spirit, she's already remarking upon a status that has been given to Mary, something that has already been done, that God has already brought about. He has already acted, right? And so it's not something to look forward to, but a status, an action that has already been given to Mary because of God's work. Now, just as a practical sidebar here, because sometimes we can kind of get down on the weeds here and um, with uh, others who bring Mary to an extra special status here saying, oh, she's the, she's the one who's like, uh, you know, this, this blessed Mary and she has the status from God and blah, blah, blah. Right. But this doesn't really mean anything other than like, she's been given this, this grace from God, this special favor that she has acted, um, on his behalf here. And, She's not actually not even the only person um, in the scriptures to be given this title, although uh, some would have you to believe that that's not the case, that she has this special status. Um, in fact, one of like the most gnarly women in the scriptures is, is called out and given this status um, in Judges chapter 5. Uh, there's this situation where, um, in the book of Judges, where this like really bad, bad military leaders on the run. And he takes refuge in this house of this, uh, he's being chased and he takes and refuge in the house of um, this guy called uh, Heber the Kenite, but his wife, JL, uh, ends up like killing him. And uh, in Judges chapter five, verse 24, it uses the same language of her. Um, 
when it describes her in this great poem, it says, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. So it was like, she's given this double, like, most blessed uh, in Judges chapter 5. It's, it's the similar thing to say that she has acted um, in concert with God. There's just some special favor that he has delivered uh, this guy, Sisera, into her hands. Here, God is working through... Um, through Mary, that she has this special status as God is doing a work that that Mary didn't uh, earn. She didn't bring this about. Uh, it was the Lord's work. And so there's not really anything. This doesn't me, uh, mean that Mary is any more blessed than any woman ever, right? Um, she has this um, opportunity to, uh, to experience something that nobody else will experience, but... Um, uh, but but it doesn't really remark upon um, her holding any sort of official status. Um, and then uh, Elizabeth also further uh, exclaims that she that that blessed is the fruit of her womb. Uh, so that that's how it's described in verse forty two. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Uh, now, of course, in the Old Testament. The ideal was to have a fruitful womb, that you would have um, kids, that you would be fruitful and multiply. This is connected to the created order as laid out in the book of Genesis. Uh, but as you move through the scriptures, what you find here is that a fruitful womb is connected to um, faithful obedience to the Lord. Uh, there's a couple places that this is remarked upon. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, in, in chapter 7, and I uh, believe in chapter 28, but uh, I'll just read to you from one passage here. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12, um, we get a description here, and there's kind of something that's contingent upon the keeping of the law. Uh, we read this, And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep you uh, keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb. And so what's going on here is that we're told that, uh, that Mary is being marked out, not as only having a fruitful womb, but it's being also said of her that she is a covenant keeper. She is one who the Lord is working in and she has been faithful. She's obedient. Um, that she is somebody who is uh, not kind of out on her own, not seeking to do her own will, but she wants to serve the Lord. And of course, we see this um, as laid out in verse 38, um, where she responds to the angel Gabriel saying, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She comes with that posture of humility, that posture of, of wanting to serve the Lord. And, and this is a perspective uh, that Mary has uh, as she enters into this phase of her life. And, uh, and clearly it's called out here by Elizabeth, that she is the recipient of this blessed, um, th this fruitful womb uh, because the Lord has acted by his grace, but because she's also been someone who has 
been a covenant keeper, that she is um, living in uh, nature or in, in line with God's um, laws and with his nature. And then Elizabeth, um, she, by remarking in this way, by saying that there's going to be this fruitful womb, by um, speaking to the fact that she is this uh, blessed woman and has this opportunity to bear the Savior, she remarks that this is a gift from God, that there's something special going on here. Now recall, she's speaking by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So Elizabeth continues on speaking. She has this big um, opening line here, and, and she continues by not only saying that um, there's these blessings and that Mary is blessed, but she also remarks upon the fact that Mary is a mother, but Mary is the mother of her Lord. Elizabeth calls this unborn child, which Mary hasn't even said anything about yet, uh, she calls Jesus her Lord, recognizing him as the Messiah. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So she's connecting the fact that John is a forerunner which uh, of the Messiah. She's connecting the fact that he's announcing uh, the arrival of Jesus. She's connecting this uh, all through the Holy Spirit. And as she says this, that, that uh, calling Jesus her Lord, recognizing him as the Messiah, she does this in a way where she speaks and remarks from a place of Israel's history. Because what she's doing here is uh, linking in her, her phrasing, she's linking back to the witness that was provided to her in the scriptures. She's testifying to uh, God's plan to fulfilling God's plan, that he's being faithful to fulfill his plan. So we look back at the language that she uses, calling Jesus, my Lord, and this echoes in the language of Psalm 110. A Psalm of David, uh, we read this messianic Psalm uh, in Psalm 110, verse one, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So we've got this double use of the word Lord there in Psalm 110. And, and this passage is going to pop up uh, again in the book of Luke. This isn't the last time that we're going to be done with Psalm 110 because Jesus himself pulls this out to make the point, right? Jesus makes, pulls him, himself pulls this out to um, bring about a point with those who are challenging him. And he pitches this and asks them to interpret this uh, in the book of Luke. Uh, but here, Elizabeth pulls this out to explain that God is acting faithfully to his plan. So she calls Jesus, my Lord, and she says, uh, I am thinking of, I have in mind, Psalm 110, verse 1. 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, as you look at Psalm 110, there's, uh, there's two, in English, there's two uses of the word Lord. Perhaps in your Bibles, uh, you'll note that the first one uh, is all capitalized. And then the second one is uh, just only the capital L there, right? So we've got a cap, all caps Lord, and we've got a one with just only the capital L Lord, the second one there. And this says to us uh, that there are two uses of this word, right? Um, that, that this is being uh, communicated. Um, there's something being communicated here in terms of status. And, and the first one there we find is the, the same word for the name of God, the, the proper name of God, that this is the God of Israel. But then we also find uh, the second one there, Lord, is uh, this title, the status of, uh, the, the actual word there is Adonai, um, which is uh, a, a, a title that speaks to um, like a, a, a kingly rule, but is not the personal name of God. It's not the revealed name of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God is called both of these things at various times. Uh, one is his name and one is his title. Uh, and, and so uh, this is not the only time you'll also find, there's, there's various descriptions of this. I don't want to get too down on the weeds with, with that. Um, but what we find here is that, that David is writing in such a way in saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And, and so um, as this is being said, readers of Psalm 110 are thinking the Lord is speaking to David, right? Uh, and it talks about David's kingdom continuing and not ending. And, and, uh, and someone... Um, you know, uh, not really being in the position of being, how are they being addressed as Lord? And here, Elizabeth interprets this to say that Jesus is really the one who is actually uh, being addressed as Lord. He is the promised Messiah. She's pointing that to this as being the messianic status of Christ uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so she's trying to call this out. Uh, We'll, we'll dive a little bit more deeply into what is meant by that as as Jesus being identified as the Messiah in Psalm 110 as we move through the book of Luke and we dive deeply on this passage. But what, um, but I, what I want you to see here is that um, she is speaking by the Holy Spirit to connect this to God's plan, to connect this uh, to what God has said in the past and how he will continue to anchor his promises and his faithfulness to what he has said in the past and to draw this out so that Israel and that all who understand how the God of Israel relates to Israel will see how God, the God of Israel will relate to all people and his promises about all people in the future. Right? So we're meant to understand the past about his faithfulness so we can trust him for our present and for our future. And what we find here uh, is that in this moment, Elizabeth speaking by the Holy Spirit is remarking upon that. She's remarking upon God's faithfulness. And what she's doing ultimately is testifying to who Jesus is. And this is always the work of the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to testify to who Christ is to reveal who Christ is. 
uh, and to bring this about so that uh, Jesus is always glorified and, and, and that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about who Jesus is. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about this in two specific places, um, at least. Uh, we read the first in John chapter 15, verse 26. Uh, Jesus says this, But when the Helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, uh, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So it's a spirit of truth who comes from the Father who will bear witness about Jesus. So he will testify to the truth of who Jesus is. He will testify only the truth, and he testifies and bears witness about Jesus. Uh, one chapter later in John 16, verse 13, again, Jesus speaking, uh, remarks upon the work and role of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, this is in uh, John 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, right? So that makes sense. The Spirit of truth is going to guide you into all, into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he testifies. The work of the Holy Spirit is one of testifying and glorifying the Son. Speaking out who Jesus is and bringing him glory and leading his people into all truth. He speaks on the authority of Christ. He's declaring the words of Christ. And so here we find that a couple things are happening. One. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's trying to do his best to testify to who Jesus is. As Mary shows up, he starts like punching around in the womb, being like, hey, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. He's doing the best that he can to announce the arrival of the king. Right? Then, as that happens, we find that uh, Elizabeth, she is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she starts testifying. She starts bearing witness about who, who is here. She starts saying these things, right? Exclaiming, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me, right? She's like, like he's here. She's here. Like, what is going on? Like, all of a sudden, she's proclaiming these things that are true. She's excited about this. And, and as she does so, she explains, uh, she explains here that there's a status that's connected here. Like she knows what's going on with John's work. His leap brings about this suggestion that, hey, like he's, he's proclaiming, he's acting in response to who Jesus is. Right now, listen to how she describes this. Remember, she's speaking by the Holy Spirit, for testifying, bearing witness about Jesus, about what Jesus leads to. For behold, verse 44, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. He leaped for joy. Right? She says here that the response 
to the Savior leads to joy. If you respond to him, if you recognize him as the king, this leads to joy. This, is the, this should be the response of all Christians. Joy at his presence. Right? John knows nothing other than that the king is here and that has brought about such an influence in his tiny life at this point that he responds in this, uh, in this joyful kicking. He's leaping around. He's you know, doing these somersaults in there, uh, excited that the Lord is going to be faithful, that the Lord is, is, bearing, uh, is bringing forth Israel's Redeemer, that the Lord is doing this work. Now, does John know all of this in his brain, like in this, uh, you know, the state in the womb? No, right? Because as you fast forward through life, what we do know is that John is filled with the Holy Spirit and that he, he is equipped here for this moment to announce the reign of or the, the arrival of the Messiah. But he, he's not like conscious there, like of keeping track of all these things. And he doesn't have this full knowledge of all that Jesus will do. He just knows that when Jesus shows up, he knows that when the promised Messiah shows up, that there is joy. And this is what we ought to be after. This is what we ought to be pursuing as God's people. Right? We are looking to identify the signs of the king. We are looking to find him so that we might find joy in him. That's the only place you can find it. It's the only place you can uh, come to him, right? This is why uh, it's described in the New Testament that as we are filled with his Holy Spirit, as Christians are uh, trusting Christ for salvation, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as he empowers us to live for him, then Christians are described as having the fruit of the Spirit. The second one listed there is joy, love, joy, right? And that joy comes out when that order is followed properly. Love, joy, the fruit of the spirit is love, and then joy comes thereafter, right? If you don't have joy, it's because you're not loving God right. You're not seeing him clearly. You're not understanding him correctly. If you have a lack of joy in your life, it's because you're looking at others and saying, I deserve this or I deserve that. But when you see Jesus clearly, when you love him properly, you realize that you lack nothing. And so there's nothing for you to compare yourself to. There's nothing, there's nothing that you could uh, seek after and desire more deeply than what he has already given to you in himself, right? And this is the great struggle that we have as believers, because we struggle with the flesh, we struggle with uh, the old man that is within, uh, as the book of James tells us that we are drawn away by our, our desires when we see things that are shiny and new and are catching our, our eye, we're, we're sometimes tempted and drawn away, but we need to be a people who are wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus. We need to be laser focused on him so that we aren't distracted that we aren't looking away. And, and for, uh, for Mary, for Elizabeth, for Zechariah, this happens by them looking at God's uh, faithful work in Israel's past, by rem being reminded of God's plan, of them being able to look back at what he has said, how he has kept his word.
and how he will keep his word in the future. He has promised, he has said, and they say, I'm going to know that those things will come to pass because of what he has uh, done in the past, how he has acted in the past. And this is something that we need to, to press into. We need to take heart because a lot of times we get distracted and we're like, well, I don't really see how it's going to work out, right? And we kind of get into that mode of Zechariah where we act in unbelief and we're like, okay, well, like explain to me how this is going to happen because I want to sign off on this plan. This doesn't make any sense, right? When all the while, what we need to do is we need to have the posture of Mary where she says, okay, I don't really get how that's going to happen, but uh, what do you want me to do, right? How can I serve? What can I participate in? How can I be faithful? How would you like me um, to use my gifts and skills and talents for your glory, Lord? Not like, give me the plan so I can sign off on it. Let me approve it. Let's review this together, right? Mary comes and says, this is what's happening. Okay. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm in. I'm ready to serve. And, and when we have that posture, uh, we recognize Jesus as the king. And that sends us out as people who can announce his coming. That sends us out as a people who can go before him, um, especially um, in, his, uh, in his second coming, in his return, right? Because as Christians, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is, is coming again. He's going to come again and receive us unto himself and we're going to get to enjoy him. But we want to people, be a people who, are, who have been affected by the work of Christ. That what he's done, he's brought us into his family. He's filled each of us with his Holy Spirit. And we want to go out and then proclaim. And, and uh, Elizabeth here remarks upon Mary's obedience. Right? She says, you are going to do exactly uh, what you're supposed to do. You are acting as a servant of the Lord. Look at verse 45. She commends Mary for responding with belief. She says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She says, You, you are blessed because you believed what the Lord said, what he said he would do, that it would come pass. Everything that is promised to her through God's word is going to come to pass. She has trusted in it. She has believed it. And she is going to move forward in faith, you know, which is kind of like hilarious, you know, and I hope like at some point when, um, when like Elizabeth is saying this by the Holy Spirit, like Zechariah is in the back room and he can't respond because like, you know, he didn't really, he didn't really act in this way. And so he's kind of like, oh, okay, see what I was supposed to do. God understood, uh, you know, that would have been excellent um, for that to have happened. But, but it seems here that she remarks upon this, this faithfulness that Mary has and that she will continue to do this, that she's going to look back at the history of Israel and that she's going to, used as her anchor to see God's work in the present and in the future. Now, as we fast forward through the book of Luke, we say, well, how did that work out? How did that work out? Right? We do find some, some sections where um, 
where Mary has stumbled a little bit in the future, but it's mostly because of a misunderstanding of, you know, a misinterpretation of what God was doing. And once it was revealed, then everything came into focus. And we, we find that this happens for all of God's people. Most of the time uh, we get ourselves in trouble is because we think God is doing something else. And we get ahead of him. We say, well, I thought it meant this. Instead of uh, maintaining the posture where we're saying each day, what are you doing today? Right? Too often, what we try to do is we say, okay, well, I know what you were doing today, and it makes sense that based on that, then tomorrow I'm doing this. And the next day I'm doing this. I see the trajectory you're heading on, and I'm, I'm on board. Here's where I'm going. Whereas we are designed to be in relationship with him, to come each day and to say, how can I serve you faithfully today, Lord? How can I um, come into your presence as a humble servant and to say, you know, I belong to you. What would you have me do this day? How can I be faithful this day? And as we do that, you learn how to anchor yourself in the present, how you can be faithful today by looking at the faithfulness of the past and Jesus's work of faithfulness in the past that insulates you from your failures, your sin, from the accusations whether they be true or false from uh, people who don't belong to God. Um, <clears throat> but we find that this is what we need in order to have that laser focus. To remember the past, um, to look back at God's faithfulness so that we can have that look to the future. Because we want to continually be testifying to the work of Christ, of what he has done that he is coming again, that he is going to work in his people. We get a glimpse of this, uh, of how this worked out for God's people in Acts chapter 5. We end here with uh, <clears throat> this section. There's a moment in Acts chapter 5 where uh, the apostles are kind of dragged into this informal court and they are being interrogated um, here before the authorities and we find that they're at, they're being said, you know, hey, like, why are you guys doing this stuff? And Peter is with the other apostles, and they respond in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, and they say, um, we must obey God rather than men, right? So they set this down. Here's the principle. We are trying to act in obedience. We are trying to be faithful, right? And then they explain what this faithfulness means. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel in forgiveness of sins. So they go straight there. Their present situation, they say, we want to be obedient. We're going to look to the past and say, Here's what God has done in Israel's history. This would have been, this would have definitely resonated with the authorities. They would have understood exactly what's happening because they're being accused outrightly of the ones who are killing Jesus. You have killed him. But they say, but God, what you thought you were doing, God has exalted him. And now he's the leader and savior. And he's the one that gives repentance. He's the one that provides forgiveness of sins. So they're saying, you've done this. They condemn the sin. They say, here's the way that we see how we can live in the present. 
and how you ought to live in the present in light of uh, Jesus as leader and savior, as the one who gives forgiveness of sins and repentance to Israel, right? And then what do they say in verse 32? And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So he says, we are witnesses, and the Holy Spirit is a witness, what? Who testifies of the Spirit, who testifies that Jesus Christ is God, who testifies that, uh, and glorifies Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Again, connected to that obedience. Obedience. God has given to those who obey him, who trust in Christ for salvation. And so this is our job as Christians. Are we going to be in the position where uh, where Mary, where we're Mary and like some angel's going to show up and be like, yo, I'm going to do this crazy thing and this is going to be awesome. And we're going to have to be like, oh my gosh, do I believe it or not believe it? No, we're not going to be in that position because that position is not necessary anymore. We don't need that. That's not something we aspire to. That's, there's not something that, that we're looking forward to. Now we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The living God indwells his people. Something way more radical is happening in that moment. Not only is God coming, God, God didn't just come and overshadow Mary, but now he comes and he dwells inside the believer, inside the Christian. And so now we can be empowered by his Holy Spirit to bear witness uh, of who Jesus is, to live out in obedience all of the things that he has called us to, that we could be a people who are acting um, in line with God's character and to be a people who are bearing fruit, that we are loving God and that we are having his joy, that we are being deeply satisfied in who he is, that we are able to discern in this world the things that are likely to distract us and to pull us away. But we ought to be a people who are witnesses. Okay, so remember that, that as we look at the text here, part of God's plan is that we would be witnesses. We would be people who are declaring what is true. Not only, uh, not only um, verbally, but in our own lives every day, living in the reality of what is true. Jesus Christ is Lord. Does your life say that? Does the way that you make decisions, does the way that you're ordering your time your resources, does the way that you're interacting with others, does it demonstrate that the truth of the gospel? Are we bearing witness to this truth? Are we paving the way so that others might see the Messiah on the move? All right, he's coming again, and we are to be these forerunners to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he has given his spirit to us so that we can obey him, right? And we're told, if we don't know what the heck we're doing, we can ask for wisdom, right? The book of James tells us that. If you lack wisdom, ask God because he wants to give it to you. He wants to give you these good things. And so as we consider uh, Mary's visit to Elizabeth here, this whole thing is helpful for that moment for us to understand what was said of Mary and how it's anchored in Israel's past. But it's also meant to give us this glimpse into our lives, that we are witnesses, that we are a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are a people who are able to walk with God faithfully through his empowering.
And so as we move through, we'll see that um, and move into next week that that witness, that bearing of witness then leads to worship. So let's pray and uh, we will kick off um, the end of our service with some worship and song. Lord, thank you for your kindness um, and that you've given us this kind of glimpse into this exchange uh, between Mary and Elizabeth, something that we wouldn't ordinarily get to see or um, the exchange of uh, this, this greeting and things that would have happened just in secret that we wouldn't have known about, but yet are so relevant to how we ought to live as your people today. And so Lord, we pray that you would empower us um, by your Holy Spirit to, to live for you, to, um, to bear witness to you each day, to remember that we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses and we testify um, that you are the king. We bear witness to that you are our redeemer. You are um, what we look forward to, your return. And we revel in your victory over Satan, sin, and death. You've conquered the grave and that you're coming again. And so, Lord, we look to that day when we will see you face to face and we will experience um, that fullness of joy in your presence. And so, Lord, help us to live faithfully um, for you now. We love you. Amen.